Hello, and thank you for joining our Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance podcast. My name is Deepta Venkatraman, and I'm a managing director at Morgan Stanley. I'm co-responsible with my partner, Matt Collins, for the America's securities lending business. We're new to the podcast. So my name is Sarah Williamson. I'm an executive director at Morgan Stanley, and I currently co-head North American Securities Lending Trading. So Sarah and I are both really excited to be here because we're going to talk about a very, very important topic for both of us, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And really, this conversation is about how our firm, Morgan Stanley, is addressing gaps both at the firm level, but also more importantly, how our employees are addressing the gaps through grassroots efforts within the organization. It is probably one of the most discussed topics across the firm. Would you agree, Sarah? Yeah. And across our division, across our team. And it probably is one of the most important topics for global corporations and especially for our industry. Personally, Sarah and I care deeply about this topic. And although both of us are Asian women, we have very different experiences growing up. I immigrated to the U.S. when I was 11, and my experience around inclusion growing up in the U.S. has shaped my personal and professional life very differently than if I had stayed in a mostly homogenous society that I was born into. How about you, Sarah? What makes this topic really personal for you? Yeah, so... I'm Korean and I was adopted when I was very little, basically a baby. So my parents are both white and I grew up in the Midwest, mostly with all white people. And I never spent much time actually thinking about transracial adoption or actually much time at all about even where I belonged. I just Mm. spent all my time with kind of the same people and I looked differently, but I never really questioned that and it didn't actually seem to matter much to me. But I think since the pandemic started and the events of this past summer, I started to take a little more of an honest look about how I think about marginalized groups, about my own bias and privilege, and what I'm actually doing to address that. And using my platform at Morgan Stanley and my general privilege as a upper middle class Asian American to start addressing some of that, both in the workplace and in our society. Yeah. But Steve, I was going to ask you, you mentioned coming to America when you were 11 and now you're an MD running a business at Morgan Stanley. How has MS and other employers kind of been looking at this recently? We mentioned it's something we talk about a lot now. What do you feel like the firm's doing? Yeah. Now more than ever, I think the conversations are more honest, right? There's more honest dialogue. There seems to be a conscious change in perception of the things that we need to be fixing. And there's also a focus on more tangible and measurable ways on executing on that change. And it also feels, I mean, I've been in the industry for 20 years. I actually hit my 20th anniversary in January. Yeah, thank you. But now more than ever, I feel that in the finance world, we have to play a significant role. And it feels like we have to play the significant role because we have to challenge the status quo and create equality because Our industry has such a huge economic impact across the globe that we have the ability to really make change. And so within Morgan Stanley, it's been an incredible journey. I think our CEO, James Gorman, has made it very clear that diversity and inclusion remains critical to our success going forward. And in fact, James has recently said, 
At Morgan Stanley, we want to be part of the solution. And I think that's a change. That's a shift. So there's a real commitment to attracting and developing and sponsoring diverse talent. And we are all responsible for increasing and leading in an inclusive manner, not just at the management level. So there are a few things that we've been doing at Morgan Stanley at the firm level, at the management level. Now, we sit in the institutional securities group. And across our division, the efforts are developed and coordinated by a global division-wide diversity council. And that council meets monthly. They institutionalize best practices. And then each business within that division has its own diversity committee that focuses more closely on the state of diversity and inclusion within their groups. And you sit on one of those diversity councils, right? I do. I am honored to be sitting on one of those committees. So the momentum is strong because there's real challenging questions we ask ourselves. There are a lot of very proactive folks that we're surrounded by that are really looking to make this an impactful change and shift within the firm. So a few things that that I feel at a firm level that are important to highlight. I think the first, and Sarah, you'll agree with me here, I think one of the most exciting things was when the firm decided to commit to diversity as one of our new core values, right? It was really exciting because it made it very explicit, our commitment to cultivating and supporting diverse workforce and really culture of belonging across the firm. So I thought that was really exciting when James Gorman came out and said that that's what we're doing. Secondly, we've created something called the Institute for Inclusion. It is modeled after a successful Institute for Sustainable Investing. And this particular institute, again, is looking to drive an integrated and transparent diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy that will drive meaningful change within the firm and also externally in support of underserved communities So it's not just in the firm, but across the communities that we operate in. Third is cementing our responsibility to address social injustice. And this came about through the course of the events from last summer. And really, this again has been an incredible investment that Morgan Stanley is making. It's our decision to support a number of external organizations driving racial equity, including the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, Carver Bank and also supporting three top historically Black colleges and universities. And the donations have totaled more than $30 million. So again, it's not just saying what you need to say and setting the agenda, but then actually putting dollars behind it. I think that's really impactful. And I know one of the first things the Morgan Stanley Institute for Inclusion did was actually publish a DNI report. Yeah. What came out of that report and what did we see? Yeah. And I think this goes to accountability, right? Because it's not enough, again, to just bullet and check boxes. It's important that we hold ourselves accountable. And so we recently published a diversity and inclusion report. It reflects how we've worked towards and continue to hold ourselves accountable. So a few stats from here. At the end of 2019, we had 60,000 employees globally. 39% of our global employees were women, and 29% of our U.S. employees were ethnically diverse. We think that those are incredible numbers. Additionally, what's been encouraging is the conscious shifts we've made at the global operating and management committee levels in the firm. We've increased the ethnically diverse makeup of our firm operating committee from 6% in 2015 to 13% in 2019, and from 15% in 2015 to 27% in 2019. So at the senior level, we are making great strides. 
But I think as I referenced in the beginning, it's not only enough to just, again, do this at the firm level. So it's really the grassroots efforts, what our employees are doing, managing functions and our employees, those things are also extremely important. So I want to turn it over to Sarah because Sarah has been leading the charge on a lot of very, very important programs that we've been managing within our business. So Sarah, you manage a large team. You're a senior manager. What are some of the firm-wide programs that we've referenced and also any additional programs that help you, that you avail of to hire, motivate, and retain talent? Yeah. So you mentioned accountability is one of the pillars of how we think about diversity and inclusion. And another one of those pillars is actually advancement. And so I think the firm has been focused on a number of different programs and Some of them have come out of employee suggestions around how we can actually be doing that across multiple businesses. So the examples are things like the Experienced Professionals Program, which is a new program to increase Black talent headcount in fixed income and bank resource management where we sit by recruiting Black professionals from outside finance for a two-year rotational program. And that's going to move into other parts of the firm later on this year as well. There's Mm -hmm. also things like the Jumpstart Initiative with LEAD, which we're sponsoring and mentoring and helping develop a financial education program for under-resourced high school students. There's STEPS Inclusion Training, which I think all employees have actually said they really learned a lot from where actors come in and, and actually act out scenarios as a form of inclusion training and focusing on microaggressions. So our MD population has already been through that and we will be moving on to EDs in the second quarter. And then another program is ISG Connects, which actually Deepta and I both have taken part in. I think Deepta took part as both a mentor and a mentee. Yes, Um, I did. Yes, I did. And I loved it. Yeah. And I have a still mentor from the program, which is a six-month initiative that purposely and selectively matches a senior leader as a mentor to high-performing female or ethnically diverse associates, VPs, and EDs globally. I think it's very structured mentoring. And usually you have goals of kind of what you want to accomplish from your time together in that six months, whether that's promotion or development. And for me, I actually at least continued on that relationship and I still have my ISG Connects mentor, even though he now works in a totally different division. So I think that's been a great one too, as well as promotion pipeline discussions happening at a senior level across the firm and as well as talent roundtables for our diverse employees. Yeah. And those have been amazing. And in fact, my mentor too, from the mentorship program is somebody that I kept in touch with for years after I was no longer in the program. And there was so many valuable lessons to be learned. I agree. I think this very impactful program. Now, switching gears a little bit, Sarah, those are programs that you avail of when you think about your team. Now, as it results to recent events and things that we've had to kind of face and discuss, you know, especially around diversity, inclusion, and society and community, what are some of the things that the securities lending management team has been focused on? Yeah. So I think this summer, the events were jarring and they came at a time when I think people were very ready to have this discussion. And the firm actually in midsummer held a conversation with thousands of people across the firm where they outlined what we are going to do to have a conversation about race at Morgan Stanley. 
And that call included a call to action for our colleagues around hiring more Black professionals, how to be an ally, starting the work of change at home, and getting educated about the issues ourselves. And I think within our senior management population within BRM, they heard that call to action and they started roundtable discussions. So we had one managing director host a session with five to 10 people in smaller groups across our business. And really, we just sat down and started to have some open dialogue. I think our diverse employees shared some of their own experiences about what it means to be a person of color in society today, not just in society, but also at Morgan Stanley, and how that might feel, look, be different than what it's like to be a non-person of color in society or at our work. And I think those conversations really, really helped people because these are all people we know, right? We all know each other. We spend 12 hours a day sitting next to each other when we're not virtual and making those situations real to other people that these aren't just people you see on the news, right? It's like people you know that you interact with every day have had these experiences and there's terrible experiences that people recounted. And there's also microaggressions, which the piling up of those over time can be just as wearing. And I think the dialogue that we had kind of started to open the conversation a little bit more for people. And for me personally, it made me want to think about ways that we could keep that conversation going after the protests and the fervor in the streets might've been over. How do we keep that going at Morgan Stanley? And so how do you think about the actual call to action? What are the things that you feel managers, middle managers, middle management on the front line can actually do to actually make an impact? So one of the things we did was we used to have a book club, which a co-ed book club, by the way, is actually pretty unusual. Usually they tend to be across gender lines, but we had a co-ed book club because it was formed around shared experience and things we all enjoyed, which was, we called it burgers and books. So you could like burgers or books or both, (laughs) but a lot of us were reading kind of the same things at the same time when we were talking about them. So we decided to just make it a thing. And then every month we would go out to a burger restaurant and talk about the book a little bit and socialize and um, eat together. So we built community. We got to know each other outside of the office a little bit more, but this summer we decided to bring back the book club but focus on racial justice and equity and to make it a little bit more mixed media. I mean, we're talking on a podcast now, Deep the Loves podcast. A lot of people, it turns out, don't read as much. And so we made it mixed media. So books, podcasts, movies, articles, basically anything where we could get people involved to have two-way dialogue about whatever we read or watched that week. So we meet monthly on Zoom right now, and we kind of share discussion about your reaction to what you read and how we can continue forward about thinking about those things. So we read, we started with The Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, which was a very aggressive first choice. It's a 600 page, very deep book if you haven't read it. And then we switched to 13th, which is a documentary on Netflix about incarceration in the U.S., which was a little easier to consume than the 600-page book. We also did Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, Nice White Parents, the podcast by the New York Times and Serial. 
Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime. And then we just finished Kate Bornstein's Gender Outlaw and Disclosed documentary on Netflix, which we actually have a book club meeting this afternoon. And it would, they were very active dialogue, right? I mean, people were really invested in having a conversation. So going back to the honest dialogue, I think giving people the opportunity to participate in those forums meant that they were really honest about how they felt. I thought those were great. I think we found there was a desire for people that we work with to talk about this stuff and not just talk about it, but also figure out how we can take action, right? And that original call to action from management and the Black employees at the firm was educate yourself and figure out how you can do more and what your part of this is. And I think we really heard that and that we realized this is not on somebody else to teach me how to be better, right? Or how to make our society more just. This is on me to figure that out and do the work to educate myself, to educate my peers, and then to actually start acting like an ally in my community. And so at a book club, we kind of morphed into another challenge. So Mm -hmm. we were actually fortunate enough as a firm to have Dr. Robin D'Angelo do a talk and she wrote White Fragility. And one of the things that she suggested in her conversation was the 21 day racial justice habit building challenge. It's basically the idea is that to build a habit, you need to do something for more than 21 days. And once you start making something a habit and you do the work to commit to it, you're going to do it every day going forward. So we decided to undertake this challenge. We basically built out 21 days of reading, watching, listening, action, noticing, and reflection that focus on elements of Black history, identity, and culture, but also other topics such as colorism, gender identity, and the increase in discrimination against Asian Americans since COVID began. So we had like a schedule of 21 days of things that we were going to do. And we'd all do the same ones on the same day. And then we met every Friday as a group to discuss what we had learned over that week, debrief and dive a little bit deeper into some of that stuff. So we had, I think over a hundred participants within BRM and some of our adjacent businesses who were actively doing the 21 days together. And then we're meeting every week to talk about it. Did you see or sense that people were comfortable in sharing? That's a good question. I think, you know, I learned a lot during it. And one of the things that I learned is we say, like, we want a safe space, right? A safe space where everyone can come together and talk about difficult things in a place where people aren't going to judge them. And, you know, when you actually read a little bit more about the topic, there's really no such thing as a safe space because all of this is very difficult stuff. And it's not necessarily about safety because these are hard topics and you can't remove that risk. And so actually what we're trying to make is a brave space where people can feel like they can be brave and rise to the challenge of having a genuine conversation in an environment where people actually do want to talk about it. And like I said before, a lot of people shared very personal experience in some of our group discussions. We've talked about this deep dive, but I think a lot of our fellow Asian Americans felt a lot of fear right after the pandemic began about the uptick of violence against Asians and about, do I really need to leave my house today to go get groceries or whatever you need to be doing? Do I need to go outside? 
I think myself, I learned more about microaggressions and probably did some soul searching about when I have been probably the aggressor in that situation and also other areas where I've been the victim of microaggressions and I didn't even know at the time, Um, which was a little bit crazy to me to actually learn so much about myself in the conversation if I was really ready to be honest to, to talk about it. Right. And so what were some of the topics beyond the Asian American conversation, which I remember so well, what are some of the other topics that came up there and that that you plan on focusing as we continue the conversation? I think some that really stood out for everybody. So the first thing was that this was actually really hard, not just the dialogue, but to do it every day. I mean, we are all busy. We work a lot and we all have family lives at home that require our attention and our time. And we're in the midst of a global pandemic as well. There's not a lot of extra time on anybody's hands. And so to be able to commit 15 to 25 minutes of doing this daily was actually kind of difficult for people, but they did find that as they were doing it every day, they were seeking out a little more information and they got very used to this being part of their day. So that was the first thing. And then a couple of things I would point out to people that I think we found really interesting along our 21 day journey. And one is really topical. We just passed the Super Bowl quite recently. And I don't know if everybody watched. I don't care about football, but I did watch. And Deep and I were actually talking about some of the commercials. And at the very beginning, before it actually started, there was this whole segment about Black Lives Matter and caring about people of color in our community. I cried. I cried. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I thought it was just really moving. And when you think about that in the context of Colin Kaepernick, and we did a reading on why he wouldn't stand during the national anthem when that was happening. And it was actually a really, not just a controversial thing in America, but in our discussion, it got really heated. You know, I think there is a sense of people thought he was disrespecting the flag and America and patriotism and our military and that he could have maybe found a different way to express what he was protesting against, which was police violence and brutality and not treating everybody equal under the law. And I think I knew at that time for me, there were people in my life who felt very differently about the situation. I mean, it was highly publicized. Our president weighed in. Many famous people decided to take a side on how they felt about it. There was a lot of money involved with sponsors, personal money with actual players. And we had a pretty lively discussion about how people felt about it. And so I thought it was interesting in, you know, just a couple of years how now we are watching a segment before the Super Bowl, the biggest game of the year, dedicated to the movement and doing better about civil rights and racial justice after we basically told Colin Kaepernick, you can't play football anymore. So that was, I think, a really interesting discussion for us. And then the other two I would point out were around reparations for Aunt Jemima. So Mm. I bet everybody's pretty familiar with the syrup and other products. And I think When you think about the fact that her image is after a slave who appears to really like being a domestic servant in a household, she's smiling, she looks happy, she's dressed up. And we've portrayed slavery in this way that it seems like it was a nice 
thing that, you know, being a mammy was a nice option as a career. And we continue to perpetuate that visual reminder through 2021, right? And so we had a lot of debate about that. Some people think that we should be reminded that's not what slavery was like, but that maybe we should provide reparations for her family if the person her likeness was modeled after, or we should just get rid of it altogether. But erasing the past doesn't mean that it just goes away and that we can forget about it. So I think that was a good reminder for people as well. Incredible conversations. Those are not conversations that we would have had very openly, you know, five or six years ago. And so just, again, just highlights how far we've come in this dialogue. Now, what were some of the habit forming aspects that came out of it that are your favorites? One of the very early on days was to sign up for this newsletter called the Anti-Racism Daily. And the author brings in different experts and discusses topics that are pertinent to what's going on in the world right now. So for example, today's was support an equitable vaccine rollout. And there's been others that I've really enjoyed about you know, rallying against racist sports mascots or supporting some of the Amazon unionization or supporting Black poetry after the inauguration. But it's a daily reminder for me that I need to do work here right? That I can't just talk about diversity with the management team or when I feel like it, but that every day I should be doing something to either educate myself or put somebody else in a place using my capital that can open doors for them or thinking about who I'm inviting to a meeting or who I gave feedback to and why. And so I think for me, the challenge created that habit of actually doing this on a daily basis. And then the other piece would be twice in the challenge, we had to engage with somebody who we didn't know very well, who had a different background than us. And I have to admit, I'm not great at that. I feel like you're a lot better at that than I am, Dita. You talk to anybody about anything. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not always good, but sometimes (laughs) it can help. But I tend to like go through my day at work and do all the things that I got to get done and then be done. And I actually had to think about, okay, who are people who are different than me? And what are we going to talk about? That was a little stressful for me. Like, hi, I'm Sarah. Like, we kind of know each other. Uh, Tell me about yourself. It was kind of like speed dating for new friends at work, which was a little (laughs) bit weird. But the two people that I actually had those conversations with during the challenge, I'm still now having biweekly catch-ups just to learn more about them and to understand what their experience has been like to get them to this point, which is very different than what my experience has been to get me to Morgan Stanley. And I think that's really important because then we engage more, we understand each other more, and we also know kind of what to look for and other people maybe who report to us or that we're trying to hire into the building. And we get a little more perspective than just our own. Yeah. And we also get to network a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And within our firm of 60,000 employees, you get to know more people so you can actually do more business. And so there are so many benefits of reaching out and changing your perspective. So this exercise has been incredible. Now, before we close out, Sarah, I know you talked about self-examination And you've thought a lot about how you can change. And I think that is true of most people that have had and have gone through this experience over the last couple of months within our organization. What are the next steps? What is it that we need to be doing? What can we continue to do? 
the firm obviously has very structured elements that are helpful to us. But what can we do on a daily basis as we hire people, manage them, develop them, as we look to change the impact that we have? I think what we found over the past few months is that changing hearts and minds and people's feelings about these topics is not something that you can just mandate, right? Deep does boss can't say, hey, everybody needs to do these things. And all of a sudden, all 150 people who report into him suddenly start doing all of these things, right? This is something that we have found our bias, our privilege, how we think about other people and other races is ingrained in us when we are very, very young. And to start changing some of that stuff actually has to start with people's desire to do that. And I can laugh now about it, but at the beginning, I was like, let's get moving. Let's go. Like, why are you guys all just sitting around? Let's do something. And deeply, you actually said this isn't going to happen in a day or a week or a year. I mean, this battle has been going on for a very long time in America. And actually, John Lewis passed away this past summer. And you read about his life and the, the battles that he was fighting and with other people in the 60s and well, his whole life, but the 60s. And it's the exact same thing that's going on today. So this isn't something we're going to solve in a short period of time. But I do really believe that we can affect change and that this is a grassroots movement, right? It can't be from the top down. People have to do these things because that's not going to change their hearts and minds. And it's really on us to help provide people with the tools and opportunities to think about things a little bit more and then perhaps to slowly start to see those seeds grow. Someone used the snowball effect as kind of a metaphor for me that, you know, you start with book club and then you do the 21 day challenge and it gains momentum and you start making this a daily part of your life. And then you have podcasts like this and you have the Women in Securities Finance Organization who is getting women together to talk about these things and network. And then people start to see the advantage of having different opinions in the room, different backgrounds in the room, and that really creating a diverse environment where everybody can feel a sense of belonging and be their authentic self actually helps business, right? It changes the bottom line. It changes how we interact with our clients. And that's the big rub, right? Like this is good for business as well. It's not just great for the world, but it's also great for work. And I think once people start to recognize those things, they start to change. And as we focus on our four pillars now, accountability, which we already mentioned, advancement, which we talked about, and then also representation and culture, there's so much I think we can do to get all of our coworkers and colleagues involved in this. The culture one's an amazing one to start, right? Like we started a cook-along group where we're doing a virtual cook together. And it's a little bit less about diversity because we all actually look quite different and our skills in cooking are pretty diverse too. Mine are non-existent. And it's a chance for us to actually all just feel a little more belonging together as we share recipes from our families or that have meant something to us in the past. And it's just another way to talk about the same types of subjects without us having to read a book or watch a movie or go to a training session. So I think there's so many ways that we can move forward. We might need to be a little creative about them, but things like this podcast and sharing best practices on how we're doing that, I think really, really help. 
Thank you so much, Sarah, for that. So it sounds like really the combination of the firm-wide programs as well as the grassroots efforts together in combination is what's going to make this really successful. So thank you again to everyone listening to us today and for joining us. I hope you took away something that you can utilize and implement in your own organizations. This has been another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance, and we hope you join us again next time. Thank you.